You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. start this morning with a quote from a familiar person if you've been part of Missio for a while, uh, Leslie Newbegin with two S's. Cammie, you want to throw that up for me? This is where I want to start as we head into August here. It says, we are, in the long run, shaped by what we attend to. In very many ways, we are not our own masters or mistresses. Events beyond our control impinge upon us all the time. But in one respect, we are free. We are free to determine what we will attend to. I wanted to start here because in many ways, I hope the month of August is trying to reorient our attention, coming out of a rest and trying to reorient our rhythms and our habits and our practices. And the Gospel of Mark is a great way to start. As we think about what are the things that we're attending to, that we're focusing on, what we attend to then shapes our affections, our loves, and our desires. And so my hope is for us that we would attend to Jesus. Hopefully you've been attending him this last month, but as we attend to him as we go into August, and many of you are forming new habits and patterns, maybe you have kids that started school this past week, Uh, you're trying to get more of a routine after a month of no routine. Like, what are the things that you're attending to, your habits, that then shape your affections and your loves and your desires, so that hopefully, as you look back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, your affections have been so deeply shaped for Jesus and by Jesus and then to others as well as your neighbor. So that's my goal for this month as we jump back in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 9. To give you some context here, and it plays well with this idea of attentiveness, if you've been following along, Mark 8, where we left off in June, we looked at the call of the cross, that discipleship is a cross-shaped call. It's an orientation unlike many of the other systems of the world but then, the beginning of Mark chapter 9, you see the story of the transfiguration. And I'm, we're not, that's not the story we're going to focus on this morning. But I want you to notice in that story, Jesus goes on a mountain, which is symbolic of many Old Testament characters. And he has with him a couple disciples. And Elijah and Moses appear. And we hear God's voice as we did at the beginning of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Now, in the second half of Mark, we hear it in Mark chapter 9. And, he, and God says from heaven to Jesus, this is my son whom I love Listen to him. Listen to him. Be attentive to him. That's the call. And so the rest of the Gospels, or in Gospel Mark, 9 through 16, hey, be attentive to Jesus. And what you're going to see over and over again is the disciples aren't attentive. They're attentive to other things. They're distracted. They miss it. And often the most unlikely people are actually the true test and vision of faith. And we're going to look at one of those stories today. In Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, I'm going to read the story, and then after I read it, I'm going to lead us through three phrases of the story as we start off this August month. So Mark chapter 9, verse 14, says this. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. 
Verse 16, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Then Jesus picks up here, verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. My favorite verse, maybe of the whole gospel of Mark. If you can, said Jesus, Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Only by prayer. Let me pray for us as we dive into this passage. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, would you breathe into us as you breathe into Adam and Eve to start your creation, Jesus, and in your breath would we uh, would you reveal yourself to us through this passage, your character, your kindness, and your power, so that we might be transformed and shaped as we look forward for these coming months, as a new season arrives and dawns, would you give us a vision of what that might look like, to be attentive to you, Jesus, so that we might have our affections stirred and longings for your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, do we have any uh, people that are really good with grammar here? Grammarians? Brianna is, okay. Brianna, I'm not gonna put you on the spot for this because someone else can answer. But here's my question I want, I want feedback for. Look at, um, look at verse 17. Is there, is there something grammatically wrong with verse 17? Does anything sound strange to you? In the context of the story, does anything sound strange in verse 17 of how the man responds or comes to Jesus? To be even more specific, is there something about the pronoun, the pronoun or the way he describes the problem that he has here to Jesus? Do you notice anything? Don't worry, I'll get us there eventually. So if you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that? Close. Is it that it says he had a spirit? No. Was... I'm going to be like fishing, you know. Let's just say one word at a time. Man, crowd. <laughs> I want to turn your attention. And maybe I didn't even use the right word. Maybe it's not a pronoun per se. This is where my grammar is falling short. 
Verse 17, it says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son. Why is that weird? Why is it, that, why is it weird he says that I brought you my son? Look at verse 14. It says, when they came to their disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. So Jesus is arriving on the scene. And the teacher of the law arguing, and as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed and ran to greet him. He says to the crowd, what are you arguing about? Or the disciples. And, and the man in the crowd says, Jesus has just arrived. He's been gone. Teacher, I brought you my son. He should say, I brought them my son. I brought your disciples, my son. He says, I brought you, my son. I think there's something here for us to see. Uh, this week on Tuesday, uh, I'm, this is, I have a couple dangerous illustrations today, starting off with a bang here. Uh, this week on Tuesday, there was a high-ranking congresswoman who visited Taiwan. And it brought with much rage and, and animosity. China was very upset about it. It was the first time in 25 years the highest-ranking official had set foot on Taiwanese soil. Now, just as a simple question, why is China? So there's, you can go through the history, and there's, this, there's no political spin to this. If you want to find some spin, you can go on Twitter and do that. But why is China upset about someone who, in a sense, even a, a congresswoman, why are they upset that she's on Taiwanese soil? Why, are they, why is China upset at the USA as a whole for one woman's actions? It's because this woman, especially as a congresswoman, represents an entire people, a nation. Rep- represents uh, a, whole, a whole nation that China now is upset at or frustrated at because they don't want uh, Taiwan and USA to be on good terms. Like she has inherent authority and power as a representative of the United States, regardless of what you think about her, whether it was good or bad. That's the thing that's happening here is when Jesus comes on the scene, this man re- recognizes that the disciples carry the authority and representation of Jesus himself. That's why he says, I brought you my son. I brought you my son. Uh, there's, a, there's a, a really, I've been thinking a lot over the last couple of months of, of faithful Christians in the past. One of them that has been coming to mind a lot is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you're familiar with his work. He, was a, uh, he lived during the time of World War II. He was um, uh, a German who resisted the Nazification of the German church. And the, the nationalism that came in and tried to uh, see Hitler as, in some ways, the second coming of Jesus. And he ended up being killed. Uh, it's a long story. You can read it in a, different, a couple different books. But one of the things that he does uh, is he uses this word all through his theology. I have a slide for it. This is your German word of the day. And I can't even really say it that well. Does anybody, does anybody know German in here? Say, can you say that again, please? Stellvertretung. <laughs> well done. This, is, this, is, this was not planned. This is great. Basically, the word means to step into the place of. To step into the place of. For Bonhoeffer... Us as the church, the global church, in a sense, stepped into the place of Christ, represented Christ to the world, to the point where Bonhoeffer would say, hey, you want to see Christ? You want to experience Christ? Look no further than his people. When you're among his people, 
you experience the presence, the very real presence of Christ. Now, that sounds maybe you know that. If you grow up with a trail, I get that word, Christ's body. But like, do you really believe that? With the same authority that this, this father comes to Jesus, I brought you my son, knowing that as he interacts with the disciples, he is interacting with God himself or with Jesus. What if this fall we were to grow in our confidence as we interact with our city and our neighbors, as they gather among us around our dinner tables, that as people spend time with us, they are encountering Jesus. He is in our midst, embodied. We step into place and represent him with authority. I want to keep moving. Let's go down to verse 23. Verse 23. Now, I'm going to do something. I already did a political illustration. Now I'm going to do something even maybe more dangerous. I've been thinking a lot about this week, if I should do this or not. I'm like, oh, this is, but it, we're just starting over this year. So it's one, maybe once every six months I'll do this. I'm going to use a sports illustration, okay? <laughs> so half of you just tuned out. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just hold on. There's going to be a cool part about it, too, that you might resonate with more. So uh, when COVID first started in April of 2020, or it started before then, but when it became like people were locked down and stuff. There is the greatest sports documentary ever that was released. It's called The Last Dance. It was a 10-part telling of Michael Jordan. If you don't know who Michael Jordan is, shame on you. Just kidding. <laughs> Michael Jordan, some argue the best, some argue the second best. Chris Hamilton isn't here. You can talk to him later about that. But it was a 10-part series, in a sense, following his life, but specifically the last year he played for the Bulls, 1998. The last, they call it the last dance. I knew it was the last year together. Now, if you've watched the show, uh, one of the things that happens is uh, Jordan will repeat this phrase over and over again. This is made into a lot of memes. Now, memes, maybe you got your attention, right? Sports, memes, I, probably somebody here. Some of you probably scroll through a lot of memes before bed. I, I, I know that for a fact. Uh, there's a meme. Does anybody know, what was the thing, if you've seen this documentary, I'm putting myself on a limb here. What was the thing that Jordan said over and over again after he, when he would tell a story? What did he say at the very end? And I took that personally. Yes. I got a great, I got a great meme here for you guys today. I had to find a PG one. There's a lot of rated R out there, so be careful. I thought that was pretty funny, though. All right, enough of that. Look at verse 23. Let me make the connection for you. In verse 23, it says, Jesus says, if you can, Jesus took this father's question personally. Like he was insulted that this man, this father who was desperate, would come to him and say, hey, if there's anything you can do to help my son, like, read that, read that not as if you can, or no, if you can, like, he's upset, he's angry. He's insulted as the most powerful being we've ever known. Here's what I want to say. I think those are the most, three most important words for our church this fall. From Jesus. If you can. I don't know about you, but uh, July often every year is a time where for me, the calluses of the first six months or the last year 
kind of wear off, they soften, and then things are revealed, and your own cynicism or frustration or hopelessness. And that the first part of the Sabbath, some of you guys were sharing some of that experience of like when you enter into a rest, sometimes you're miserable the first six hours, 12 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, because you're in a sense detoxing from all the other narratives and stories you've been living in and running on. But once that, that kind of stuff kind of goes away, you re, things are revealed to you. Things that are kind of ugly sometimes. Some things that are really beautiful too. But I, I just think these three words, if you can, are the words for our church this fall. I'm under no illusion of the challenges we have faced as a church the last couple of years. From the political landmines that have caused us all kinds of division across our world. Thankfully not, I think, a ton in this room to the griefs that we carry in here of lost relationship, to uh, just the, the pains of conflict and relationships that are hard. Like, I am under no illusion of that. And what can happen is in the midst of that is you can become calloused, cynical about yourself and about others. And so you come to Jesus, hey, Jesus, if there's something you can do, like, maybe you could help. If you can, on the surface, it looks like this man's faith is weak. Some of you grew up in a tradition where doubt or this kind of questioning was like, that was the enemy. But I think actually this man's faith, this father, is quite robust. Notice how the father, in the midst of the scribes and the disciples arguing with one another about why they couldn't heal the poor, the poor son, He just goes straight to Jesus. He doesn't have time for arguing. I think the invitation from the story and from the Father and Jesus is to recover hope if you've lost it, both for yourself and for your world and for others. This man showcases real faith where faith is not the absence of doubt, but a tempered trust that Jesus really is who he says he is. Faith is a consistent resilience to keep showing up at Jesus' feet to ask him to move and work like this father does in the story. In your cynicism, your hopelessness, and your frustration, and your pain, have you stopped showing up like the father to Jesus' feet? Notice, he'll take that half-assed question you have of like, oh, I don't know, like, if, if you can, or what, could you do something about this? Here's what I want you to do. I would love for you, just in the silence of the space and by yourself, where are you most desperate for the power of Jesus to show up in your life this fall? Right now, just sit, in that, sit with that question for a moment. Where are you most desperate for the power of Jesus Christ who says to you, if you can, where do you need, it, where do you need him to show up? Find that one thing. Focus on one thing. I'll give you a couple of moments to do that. As you hold that one thing, let's move to the last part of this passage. Hold on to it, because we're going to come back. Notice the end of the story is the disciples go into a house privately with Jesus. Jesus is constantly trying to avoid the crowds in in the Gospels. You notice that in the Gospel of Mark? He was trying to heal the boy in some ways before the crowds were to all get around at shows. And they ask him, kind of confused, why couldn't we drive out the demon? 
Why couldn't we heal the boy? Jesus says, well, you know what? You guys didn't have the right technique. Like you needed to pray in this specific or use these specific words or, you know, actually you haven't been through enough schooling or training yet. Like, you know, that's why you guys couldn't drive the spirit out. Like the technique was off. You didn't have the right life hacks to get everything kind of lined up. No, he does not, he does not respond that way. He responds real simply. I, I, the simplicity of the response is baffling, to be really honest. He says, this kind can only come out by prayer. Do you believe that? I, to be really honest, I don't. Only by prayer? What? In a culture that's obsessed with technique and the right strategies, and the church is not immune to that, the means of Jesus' mission is prayer. Our mission as a church, our, the church as a whole, is prayer. Prayer is the means of the mission. It's the way God's will and his kingdom breaks in. But it's often not our starting place. And right now, the thing that you just held, whatever that thing is that you're desperate for Jesus' power and presence, you're going to be tempted to leave the space out of anxiety to try to think of a pragmatic thing to do to try to fix it. Like right away, hey, what can I do this week to, to make that thing better? How can I uh, line things up better so that I can overcome? Jesus can help me overcome that, but I can overcome that. Like that's going to be your anxiety talking is the quick activity. But Jesus' invitation is not anxious activity, but prayerful participation. So this is going to be vulnerable if you want to enter in. You have the permission not to. That's okay too. But I'd love to just spend the, the end of our sermon here uh, just the next five minutes with that desperate thing that you named, I'd love for you can either pray privately at your chair as a starting place of asking Jesus' power to come into that thing and to bring healing or wholeness. Or you can have the boldness because there's trusted, you have trusted people in this room. If you're like, I don't, no one here, I'm, it's not, I don't, there's not a trusted person here, that's totally okay. But if you have a trusted person in this room or a couple people, I would love for you to offer that thing to somebody else and have them pray for you in this space. That the starting place, even for us as a church, coming out of the Sabbath was not, would not be a better strategy or um, some more different cool ways to say things or tools to use, but it would be prayer. And that would be the, the means of our mission as God's people. So turn some people around you, or you can just sit quietly in your spot, whatever the one. But I'm going to give about three to five minutes for you to even offer that to somebody else, to ask for prayer. If you would like prayer from me or from Sarah or from... Kenny or from Megan, I think she went out of there, she's back here. From any of us, we'd be happy to, to step into that with you. Or if you just like to sit quietly, you can do that. But I'm going to give us some space to respond, not with anxious activity, but with prayer. Before I invite you to the table to be nourished by prayer and by Christ himself, would you, uh, would you, if you have a Bible, would you open it to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14? We're going to read this prayer together. We're going to be spending a couple of months in Ephesians later this year in September and October. And Paul gives us two beautiful prayers. I'd love for us to read it out loud together, and then I'm going to invite you to come and receive, to make this prayer reality, because it's true, as we talk about in this prayer the love of Christ that's high and wide and long and deep that's displayed for us here at the table. So let's read it together. I'll lead us. If it, doesn't, if it sounds 
disconnect if that is okay. Prayers can be that way. Yeah, 3.14, Ephesians 3, verse 14. All right, let's read it together, pray it together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Pause right here. Let this really be your prayer this fall. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would this be a season of recovering hope, of coming to Jesus and hearing his words, if you can? And it would start not with a technique or a strategy, but with prayer and the tangible presence of Christ that meets you here at the table, his body and his blood. Let me read from 1 Corinthians. I'm going to ask you to stand. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Now, as we've said before, and we continue to say, which is true, the mystery of our faith, which is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Let's say it together, and then come and receive after a long-awaited time from the table. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and eat.